Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. It's Monday, February 16th, 2015. Again, we say that for all those who are downloading and listening to this broadcast after the fact. I assume if you dialed in, you know what day it is. So anyway, it's good to have you with us. Happy President's Day, and I hope you had a great Valentine's Day and had some good quality time with those closest to you. I just finished off my last piece of chocolate, which means I'll be working for the next 30 days to work off what I gained in that one 24-hour period. So anyway, love Valentine's Day. Had a great time myself. Also, we'll tell you about mine sometime. It's an interesting deal. But anyway, this broadcast is uh, created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Progress on Lending Innovation Award. So Thank you to the folks there for doing that. Again, we're really here for you. We love this. In fact, I wish you could have been in on all the pre-conversations. Some of the conversations we have just before we go live are so good. We're really here to help digest all that's going on out there. Sometimes we put out things like we did last week about the new announcement of the capital requirements for the FHFA and uh, what they're coming out with, and, and we sound fairly definitive on And Andy did a good job, I thought, coming. The profit doctor did a good job of covering that. But we did have some listeners, uh, some within the MBA, some others, some warehouse lenders call in and, uh, and really start challenging some of the things we laid out. Uh, if you listen to what Andy says, it's pretty solid ground, but we are going to get some of these other people on and do that, uh, take this deeper in some future broadcasts. So the MBA, I was talking to Pete Mills, and we, i got to tell you, we have such a great partnership with the MBA, so pleased with that and very, very grateful for what they are to us and how they support us and all that we do here in so many, many ways. So anyway, a great deal of feedback on that broadcast and not a lot of divergence, but there was a few things having to do with the MSRs. That really the mortgage servicing rights that a lot of people were talking about that we we're going to dial in back into and we're going to get the F, uh, the MBA's perspective on it and their fine tuning because they had just met with MB uh, with Fannie Mae so we're going to get their feedback on it again we try to digest that's all that's going on we want to create a format where you know I hate to say it we report you decide that's a familiar tune by one of the major networks but ours is really just to kind of bring you and be a resource to you and many of you. Literally 367,000 downloads of our broadcast. It just is astounding. So we have a large listening audience. We appreciate you making this a part of your way of digesting all that's going on out there. So we appreciate you as a listener. Special thank you goes out to our sponsor, United Guarantee. is performance premium pricing is something I'd like to just mention. Their mortgage insurance um, that they have is one of the MI's only pricing that is true risk brace, surpassing the simple tiered base systems and broadening the options for lenders and their customers. First of all, there's a wider credit box. That's the first thing you need to know about this. And there's also a performance premium that lets United Guarantee consider borrowers with the, and non-traditional properties, such as second homes, that are typically more difficult to insure. So they've, they've got a uh, some real interesting approach the way they do the credit box. So it's wider than some of the other companies out there. Also, there's a chance to reward strong buyers. In other words, homeowners who have been responsible for their financial lives can save money with UG, and I guarantee. And so nice feature there. Also, the opportunity to close more loans. Lenders can leverage uh, their fast closing, underwriting, file full file submissions, and with the ability to do additional different types of loans to help borrowers turn houses into homes. I think it's a great program. Check it out at their website and uh, learn more about Performance Premium at www.ugcorp.com or contact your local sales executive. I encourage you to go out and have you hugged your UG rep lately? (laughs) It's Valentine's Day. I'm sure you sent them a Valentine's card. Anyway, mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Company. Also, 
Our sponsor, Velma, Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant, do a great job. Brent Embler, Catherine Nordby, that whole group over there just does a great job of getting the word out on all our broadcasts. Many of you uh, dial in as a result of those email blasts that go out just before we start the broadcast. So, gosh, I don't know how many thousands they send out, but we appreciate that. If you're not on a list... Send me an email or contact me. A lot of people are contacting me through LinkedIn. That's a great way to get a hold of me. Send me a message through LinkedIn. Friend me and send me a message. I always like having friends out there. Uh, let's see. Also, I want to say a special thank you to Alice and Joe and uh, Andy Shell, the Prophet Doctor, for all their contributions to make this the number one listened-to podcast broadcast in the industry. So... Special note, the MBA has wanted me to let you guys know that they have a new program out there, an educational program called Mortgage Banking Bound. I really like this. I have a 23-year-old daughter I'd love to see get into the industry. This is really for college students and others considering a career change. So check it out by going to Mortgage Banking Bound, B-O-U-N-D, I can't say it, Mortgage Banking Bound. Dot com. Check out the website. Really good program. They started it last week, and it's going through, but I'm sure they're going to be repeating it. I'm a big champion of this particular program uh, because I want to see the next generation come into our industry. It's been good for a long time. Today we've got someone who's been in the industry with me. I, she and I have worked together since the beginning of time. Today's hot topic is the RMBS, or the Residential Mortgage-Backed Securities, Private Securitizations. Are they coming back? Well, Eileen O'Grady is our guest she has. Been, she and I have worked together for many decades, and uh, goes back to she remembers the earliest days, some of my more embarrassing days in the industry. And uh, I'm so excited to have her on. She's a dear friend and has been for all these years. But anyway, she just attended the ABS, which is the Asset Backed Security West Conference last week in Las Vegas. And I asked, "Oh, Eileen, would you come on and share what you learned there?" And we'll save the rest of it. But let me tell you, there were some really interesting things that took place there. So I can't wait to get into that discussion. Let's get on. Let's see uh, any other conference stuff going on. Uh, National Mortgage Servicing Conference in Dallas coming up February 23rd through the 26th. Also the Midwinter Housing Finance Conference um, March 4th through the 7th. And then also the Midwinter, which is the Midwinter Conference. I keep doing that. It's on two lines here. i got to fix that. Anyway. So those are the conferences that are coming up. We have a lot more, and I'll get that calendar updated. But if you want to head over and check out the full full calendar, go over to MortgageDaily.com. Sam Garcia has got it all filled out. So let's get to checking out what's going on this week with the markets. It's President's Day, Joe, so the markets are closed today. No news, but I'd love to get your thoughts on last week. We saw rates rise, and uh, and there wasn't a lot of news. So what's up, Doc? Well, you know, every day last week, rates rose a little bit, except the day on which the retail sales report came out. It was yeah. incredibly weak. And one of the okay. – very interesting, too, it was. Um, when you looked at the numbers in the retail sales report, you know, by the way, it fell eight-tenths of a percent. Well, put them in dollars. Yeah. Eight-tenths of a percent represented uh, $3.5 billion worth of reduced spending. Uh Three point six billion of that three and a half was reduced spending on gasoline. So, you know, essentially, all the money that was not spent in the retail sales report was not spent on gasoline. And the question is, why didn't people spend it somewhere else? And and in fact, it looks as though they might have spent a hundred billion or um, no, a hundred million of that. Uh, somewhere else, but but you know, there's a lot that they didn't spend, and and what they do with it? Did they save it? Did they pay down debt with it? Did they buy services as opposed to goods? Because retail sales is just goods. So, be interesting uh, as we go through the months ahead to see if they begin to spend that. You know, it's not bad if if for a month or two or three people use the the windfall to pay down debt and to get their uh, yeah. Yeah, and save a little bit, you know, get everybody in a little more healthy position, especially good for those who are considering home buying. But uh, at some point, we need to see people start spending that to gin up this economy again. And by Uh, the way, Joe, I did, uh, for many people know that I do a daily video at the website, www.todaysmortgageminute.com. And on Saturday, or on Sunday, I did a video that had to do with this very topic because I thought it's really interesting. I said three reasons the housing market should be doing better than it is, 
and three reasons it's probably not. And I got into that very topic. I hope it's that they're not spending the money because they are paying down debt. They're building retirement and putting money in the bank. Because if they are, it's going to put us in a better foundation. While it may be delaying some economic stimulus, Joe, and housing stimulus, it's getting consumers back to where they need to be. Now, exactly. speculation, we're all hoping for that. But it's interesting you say that. For those that want to go check out what I said, go check out the Sat or the Sunday video uh, today's Mortgage Minute. All right. So, you know, the rest of the week, yeah, the rest of the week was affected by uh, somewhat by what was going on in in Europe. We had three things over there really last yeah. week. One was the uh, you know the negotiations between Greece and the eurozone, and uh, and then the truce uh, ceasefire between uh, Russia and Ukraine, and then Friday, which kind of. Um, to the extent that the mortgage market improved on Thursday's poor retail sales report, it gave it right back on Friday after uh, uh, stronger-than-expected economic growth in Europe was reported. Um, uh, that caused stocks to improve dramatically, uh, not dramatically, but S&P closed at an all-time record high on Friday. Uh, but MBS prices uh, fell on the news. So for the week, again, uh, yeah. mortgage rates wound, wound up you know, four or five basis points higher in rate than they uh, began the week. Sorry for coughing in the middle of that. I tried to discreetly sip a cup of coffee and it went down the wrong pipe. But that's, right. It's really interesting that you know, where that was last week <clears throat> and the reactions to the market. So. What are you anticipating this week, my friend? Not and looking, we're closed today, and we got the FOMC yeah. meeting coming up Wednesday. Yeah, that's the big thoughts on this one. Well, the, yeah. the, this week's going to. Who knows when market moving news is going to come these days? But the FOMC minutes uh, from the January meeting will come out on Wednesday at two o'clock Eastern time, so you might be prepared to to pay attention at that time. We get a couple housing data points for from the builders uh we got new home housing starts on wednesday and before that we have the national association home builders survey uh it comes out tomorrow it's just indicating whether they feel things are uh, getting better or worse you know then industrial production yeah. comes out on wednesday ppi comes out on wednesday uh jobless claims in philly fed on thursday so you know not your blockbuster week for news but uh do pay attention to that the the Fed minutes on Wednesday is big, uh, has been a market That's moving a big event one. the last few times. In New York Empire Index, I don't see. I'm mean, gonna look at your website. You have industrial production and FOMC is the ones that are starred on your website right now. Again, folks, if you're right. not looking at this website regularly, you got it. You're a mistake. So get listen to the ad here in a minute. But uh, t- why industrial production? Explain why people why you think that is going to be one of, in addition to the FOMC, the Fed minutes. Um, why is that one? A, probably could have some more significance well it's a it's a measure on a bigger scale and it's a it's a better mm-hmm. indication of uh, a national activity as opposed to like the philly fed or the new york empire uh, regional activity so it just carries yeah. with it a little more weight and quite frankly lately industrial production has not been a big market mover uh, but uh, well, I, I, you know, it, it, it it has it has a potential yeah, I see. It's it's a positive four tenths of one percent versus the negative one tenth of one percent last reporting period. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where that all ends up. Joe Farr, thank you so much. Uh, I just love your website. I love the conciseness of the information you have up here. And I just tell everyone if you're an originator out there, if you're you know if you're not hedging the markets and you just want to get really reliable update information, this is the site. And you want to learn more how to get signed up? Pay attention to this ad. We'll be right back after this brief break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginny Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to mbsquoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. mbsquoteline.com. 
646-716-4972. The Lickin' Hot Landing Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin. Ah, enjoying a cup of coffee and then coughing it. Wow, man, that one got me big time. Good to have you with us, everybody. I'm looking at the number of people listening in from on mobile devices right now. It's uh, There's a lot of you enjoying your President's Day from somewhere up in your office because we got a lot of people dialed in today. So it's good to have you with us. Appreciate you making this a part of your way of getting information what's going on in the industry. Uh, Paul Mala would normally be joining us right now, but he wrote me, he says, Dave, I'm going to take the day off. It's President's Day. Greet everybody and encourage everyone to check out my website. It's www.imfnews.com. Okay, so it's not his website, but it's the one that he writes for, and of course that stands for Inside Mortgage Finance, great group of people, and uh, of course I'm a big fan of Paul Mollo and what he writes and his staying on top of stories. So check out the website, www.imfnews.com. Alice Alvey, how is the weather up there? Did you get another blast of winter? Did you have a chilly Valentine's Day? Oh my gosh, it's been sub-zero here. <laughs> yes, it's been very <laughs> chilly, but you know... You just look out the window. How frozen chocolates? Sorry, you don't even have to look at the calendar. Taste, <laughs> do frozen chocolates taste different than uh, regular chocolates? I don't know. I just, I, I, everything's just, frozen right now. So, and we're looking forward to St. Patrick's Day, right? Let's get to the next month. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, but um, yeah. So I think uh, it was interesting on our pre-call. Joe brought up about the tip, the total interest percentage on the new loan estimate yes. and closing. Disclosure. And so, of course, while he, he was doing this uh, piece there, I had to quickly double check. And, you know, uh, it, it, so it just is a tip for everybody. <laughs> We're going to have to explain a tip to a customer. And it is uh, not necessarily intuitive for the borrowers when they're looking at the form. So, picture you have your four federal boxes today, and there's going to be a fifth box that now covers the percentage of the interest divided into the loan amount. And those numbers aren't necessarily intuitive on the form if there's mortgage insurance because um, you won't be able to just take right. the total of payments showing on the form. So, if, you know, we're going to, you know, Joe, I don't know if you have any, what you were saying, it isn't that the interest rate, but I'm still coming up with that it's, you know, averaging about 70% or worse on many loans and when you have to tell the borrower you're getting a 70% tip. Very interesting. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if he's on, if he's on mute or not. I wanted to give him a chance to jump yeah, in there. So, yeah, he may have muted out there for a bit. All right. He went and poured so, another and cup he, of coffee. That's Alice. Right? No, I'm here. Right. Well, he yeah, there he is. There he is. <laughs> but if you if you calculate interest as principal times rate, and you add up all the interest you calculated, then you take that interest and divide it over the time and uh, into the principal. Why don't you come right back to the rate? Well, okay, so maybe now I understand what you're saying in your math because we're not going back through, we're not using the time, we're just using the dollars. Oh, well, that makes so, no sense at all. Well, <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, so on the, if you look at the closing, right, unfortunately the loan officers and closers are going to have to explain it to all the borrowers. So, you know, uh, the example on one of the forms is a, using $162,000 loan amount and you know, in that scenario, at about a four, a little over four percent interest rate, you have one hundred and twelve thousand two hundred and forty dollars of interest plus your hundred and sixty-two thousand, and so it's just simply taking the hundred and twelve thousand in interest mm. divided by the hundred sixty-two thousand. Okay. Uh, you know, there's supposedly yeah, all kinds of studies well. out there. <laughs> <laughs> the CFPB did all Make kinds no of sense. homework. Remember, read the, the the note before you all has lots of stuff out there, and that this is what consumers wanted. So we're all faced with having to learn how to explain it. So I'm glad. You said Joe, that. Joe, have we have, has the CFPB always made sense to everything that they've issued? So maybe, maybe <laughs> no, this is yeah. uh, maybe this is <laughs> considered the source. Well, I mean, and I'm, for my CFPB friends that are listening out there now, right. we're not dissing yet. We're just having fun with you. I know, and they get it. I've oh, joked yeah. around at a recent conference, and one of the reps from the CFPB was in there, and he was looking at me. I'm going, wait a minute, that's right. They're just the implementers of the destruction. They did not create the destruction. <laughs> <laughs> they did not. That's so, good. I like that one. Right? That's good. So any, as a quick note to folks, we do see some new legislation coming in that we're watching. You know, and at this early stage of this Congress, you know, we just don't know what's going to have meaning. 
Um, but there is House Bill 982 that was introduced last week to ensure that any authority of the mutual mortgage insurance funds to borrow amounts from the Treasury is used only to pay mortgage insurance claims. I remember seeing this before. Whenever Congress gets a little nervous about where is FHA and are they going to need a government bailout, they want to make sure the money's only going to pay claims and not for other stuff. Um, then we also have Senate Bill 495 that was interesting, a bill to revoke the charters for Fannie Mae and Fernie Mac upon resolution of their obligation to create new mortgage finance for single family and, of course, multifamily. So I don't know if that means just one congressman starting to pay attention. We need to do uh, something with Fannie and Freddie, or we really will start to see some movement, movement congressionally. Um, so that's uh, those are the two newest things that have come up in the last week. And then just a heads up to everybody about, um, you know, Buckley Sandler was reporting on the MAP um, problems that uh, several lenders have had. So the Mortgage Action Practice yeah. Act. And uh, there are some copies now. You can look at the consent orders for these couple of companies and really get an idea of what is the CFPB diving into when they audit the ad advertising. And so I think these lenders, in, in a couple of cases, thought they had enough disclaimers or used words like may be subject to things. And in one case, it was advertising for Heckam's reverse mortgages. And, uh, you know, so the I think the lenders felt, probably felt that they had in some, enough disclaimers, but in the CFPB's eyes, the overall message was very inflammatory to mislead the borrower. So I, I think that's good reading for folks. And I'm also going to give you a heads up. When I read this, I say there's no such thing as having an, uh, anyone but an attorney approve your advertising because the legal cases out there are making this uh, with a lot of nuances. And, you know, uh, as a consultant, I know I'm not going to step in that territory. We've had some folks ask us, hey, will you look at my ad and tell me if it's okay? You know what? I'm saying you need a lawyer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah. uh, after looking so at true. these cases, there's a lot of nuances. So that's a heads up. Check out, I think there's three different consent orders out there for these companies. Uh, where you can check out some of the rules um, and, and make sure that you're watching, you know, what your references are in your advertisements. So, uh, Dave, I'm going to pass it back to you then because I know we want to make sure it's plenty of time for our next segment. Yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to Eileen here in just a little bit, talk about all this, the update from the ABS West conference. Uh, lots of stuff to report on. Alice, thank you so much for staying on top of it. Also, thank you for making it. Uh, as entertaining as possible, as, as easy to listen to. So I, I, you always get me laughing, and I do enjoy that. So, yeah. Anyway, you did not engine, you didn't design the destruction. You're just right. implementing the destruction. <laughs> that that's a new quote. That is a new yeah. quotable. Yes, yes, yes. I, I can't remember All right, what movie folks, that is. Well, does it implement I know. I'm trying to think. Now, yeah. if Andy was here, he watches every movie in the world, so he would be able to tell us. The prophet doctor knows movies and finance. So anyway, uh, I can't think of which one it is, but he'll have to listen to this oh, and oh, give, yeah. us, give that to us. Oh. All right. That's Alice, thank you so much. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. We've got Sam Garcia, and then we're going to be on with Eileen O'Grady back in just a minute. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. That's good to have the Indicom folks as sponsors and participants of this broadcast. Also, it's great to have Sam Garcia, who we have on the line with us today. And uh, let's see here. Where are you, Sam? There it is. Uh, Sam, when you I'm dial, here. make sure you press once. Uh, there you are, so I can find you on your. A lot of people dialed in today. I couldn't find you there for a minute. Sorry. Good to have you with us, Sam. And again, <laughs> before, sorry, just in case. It's good. good, good. Uh, folks, we got Sam Garcia, president and founder of MortgageDaily.com. Check it out. And his phone number is 214-521-1300. Sam, take it away. What you got on the headlines? You got some good stuff here. I'm looking at your web website. You know, I'm just wondering, David, uh, we're 32 degrees here today. What are you at? Whew. Oh, yeah, it's 40-something here. So, yeah, but I'm flying off to Philadelphia today, so it's it's at one degree. So or whatever it is out there. So, 
Yeah, All right. Well, uh, uh, what we've got going it. this week is uh, we saw that on Friday we put out our mortgage market index report, and basically mm-hmm. in, uh, we, we saw that the activity dropped quite a bit. Um, it was down uh, thir- or 15%, and refinances took the biggest hit. Um, basically, it looks like uh, people were responding to the rising rates. So uh, uh, be nice to see that come back, but uh, it was a little bit slower, and rates are going to drive where that goes this week. Um, yeah, I know you thing use Optimal Blue for uh, Optimal Blue for that. I want to put in a good word for them. Great company, good group of folks up there. So yeah, then also regulator actions. That that was uh, that was an interesting headline story that we've been reading about. But yeah, that's the one that Alice was talking about. And uh, we saw that three firms, all financial, flagship financial, and American Preferred, all had actions taken against them, um, as Alice said, because of advertising and implying that they were affiliated with the government and their uh, marketing pieces they were mailing out, um, which violated the uh, 2011 Mortgage Acts and Practices Advertising Rule. So, uh, yeah, good yeah. good point for her to bring up because that's something everybody needs to be aware of. You, don't, you never want to be using HUD uh, logos or or implying anything and, and that kind of a thing. And we've probably all seen pieces of mail that come from various types of businesses that look like they're from the government and make you want to call because yep. something's wrong. Um, we saw the delinquency went down. CoreLogic reported a 4.1% 90-day delinquency rate in December. And they said that the last time serious delinquency was that low was in June 2008. Very promising because now we're talking uh, pre-crisis, and when I say pre-crisis, I'm saying October 2008 and prior. Um, okay. We okay. saw we saw also that foreclosures uh, went up quite a bit, and we're talking about completed foreclosures. Realty Track reported that completed foreclosures soared to 37,292 in January, from just uh, 24,000 the prior month, um, and, and yeah. also up, up from uh, 30,200 in a year earlier. Uh, Realty Tracks uh, Vice President Darren Blomquist uh, noted in the report that servicers are getting the foreclosure spring cleaning we anticipated in our last foreclosure off to a quick start. Um, MGIC had uh, put out some operational data, and uh, what was interesting in that report was that the delinquent inventory ended January at 80,144 loans. Um, and that was the first time that, that their delinquent inventory had increased, based on the historical data we maintain, since July 2011. They'd had a long streak of uh, you know, declining inventory, so uh, that was a little blip that they had this uh, last time around. And uh, the last thing I wanted to cover was an interesting story. I got a lot of traction. People were interested in it, and it related to mortgage fraud. And, of course, normally you've got borrowers or possibly realtors and, or uh, mortgage brokers that are uh, the ones that are the defendants in those counts in those uh, cases. Right. In this particular situation, a Cook County Circuit Court judge, uh, Beatrice Santiago, was removed from the bench because she's accused of uh, providing false information to her her uh, lender on, when she was refinancing. And what happened was uh, she, had, yeah, she was telling, apparently, she allegedly was telling her lender that she lived in the property. But what happened was uh, when she was running for uh, her position, uh, she was challenged on, you know, living in the right district. And she on said her, that while she, yeah. she, she had lived in that property, she lived with her parents, uh, actually, and that, you know, made her qualified for the district. So she got, got caught between... You know, trying to get the best rate and uh, and also trying to get uh, elected for the uh, post. So she's been placed Oops. on a leave yeah. right now while they're looking at that. So, and that's pretty yeah, much the big headlines good. that we've got for last week. Yeah, that's really interesting. You got some great stuff on your website. Check it out, folks. www.mortgagedaily.com. Great stuff. I really appreciate you taking a moment to cover the headlines with us, Sam. And uh, I hope it's. I hope it warms up here in Texas. I want to come back to a warm Texas after I'm done with this trip to the East Coast. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Good, all right. Well, at least we don't have to deal with snow. Hopefully, anyway. Good to have you with us, Sam. Uh, the Prophet Doctor is enjoying. Now, this guy knows how to do, I kid you, knows, knows how to do Valentine's, and he is extending his Valentine's, as is my other partner, Chuck Klein. They're, they're off. And I'm working, so anyway, I better take a lesson of Valentine's from those guys. So anyway, they're not with us, so we're going to be right back with Eileen O'Grady 
right after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. It's good to have you with us, everybody. It's always fun to do this broadcast because we meet so many new friends and there's so many people out there that we just have the privilege of connecting with. And and I just got another uh, message from someone on uh, LinkedIn, and and that's a great way to get a hold of me. So go David Licken, L-Y-K-K-E-N. Connect with us on LinkedIn and send your message and your request. Lots of good feedback all the way through. A lot of encouraging words. And I love it when people say, you know what, uh, Dave, I, I don't agree with you on this point. And I love that. And we had uh, Mark Savitt went at me pretty aggressively after one of these things. I had him on the broadcast. It turns out Mark and I have become or re- rekindled the friendship as a result of that conflict and uh, some really great stuff that's happening. So appreciate you being on here. Uh, so it's like well, my parents had a saying in that they hung in their uh, foyer it says, make new friends, keep the old, one is silver, the other is gold. Well, I want to introduce you today to one of my golden friends, Eileen O'Grady, is someone that I just have come to respect and enjoy. I knew she was unusually good and a, a true professional. Uh, when I worked with her, we won't go how many decades ago that was, but it was a long time ago she was there at some of the early days. But um Last week I was talking to her, and she were, we were talking about different things going on in the industry. And, and she, I said, where are you? What's going on? She said, I'm at the ABS West Conference Day. That's the asset-backed security conference here in Las Vegas. And Dave, you're not going to believe it. This thing is overrun by people. It's unusual. They had allowed for some number of people there, and she'll tell us in a minute. And then she said, but they had like 50, 40-some percent, 47-8% more people show up than they even had room for. So I said, wow, what is going on to bring that about? She says, I'd love to tell you, and I'll let you know as soon as I get done. I said, well, better yet, why don't you come on the radio broadcast and share it with all our listeners so they benefit from it. So we are getting an update from last week's Asset Back Securities Conference that went on in Las Vegas. Very interesting. And bringing that to us is Eileen O'Grady, a dear, dear friend, someone that I wish all of you all could, all y'all, as we say in Texas, could get to know as well as I have. Eileen, good to have you on the broadcast. Oh, David, it is an absolute pleasure. As uh, as you and I have said in the, in the few times that we've been able to see each other, uh, probably at airports <laughs> as we're going to yeah, various places. airports and conferences, yeah. yes. Fantastic to spend some time together. I enjoy it. I'm so glad we get to share it with a few thousand of our favorite friends on the broadcast here. So uh, uh, for those that don't know, Eileen had to write underwrite my loans. Uh, and so our first encounter was when she was in underwriting. She has a distinct background in many aspects of the industry. And I like some of your notes here uh, that you wrote to me. Your your career has really had four real distinct eras, eras or areas. So covered so people can get to know a little about you. And uh, from the earliest days when you and I met a few decades, a couple of more than a few decades ago, um, give us a little rundown on your background. And then I really want to get into, you know, trust the mic to Alice and Joe to get into some of the aspects of things, what you found this last week. So give us a rundown on your background so our listeners get to know you. Thanks, David. I mean, you were there in my very first year in the, uh, in the industry and, you know, I hope folks have a couple of hours to hear what happens over the course of 40 years. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I started <laughs> in the industry when uh, when rates were in the sixes and sevens. Uh, you and I watched them go to the 19s, and now we're down in the yes. in the threes today. Um, maybe that's what I'll have put on my headstone. You know, she survived those, uh, those uh, interest rate cycles. But, um, 
you know, the four eras that I that I find myself looking back on, which do do collaborate or or correlate with my uh, my years in the industry. You know, uh, an era, a decade. You know, the first one was when you and I were at uh, Puget Sound Mutual. You know, I was a kid from New England. I was Up curious about the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, as an underwriter for, for a number of years there, it was, life was about a 10.03, a 10.08, and a paper file that was about a quarter inch thick, right? It was pretty simple. <laughs> Alice could chuckle about that. Old, yep. right? Yeah, I know. I was 21 years old trying to, you know, decide what should happen to people who were in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, when it came to getting them into their house. And um, the evolution from there was into product development. And uh, so old, how old is she? She's so old that she pioneered one of the first sales of adjustable rate mortgages to Fannie Mae. Um, and That's if you remember, right. David, while we were struggling to do business in the uh, in the realm of the 12 to 19 uh, percent interest rates, uh, I pioneered the graduated equity mortgage loan and sold those to Fannie. It was the, my very first algorithm um, back then to write uh, how the graduated equity mortgages would work. And then it was also my very first business trip. It was very exciting to go to Fannie Mae and, on the, you know and uh, in charge of the company. Product development took me into secondary, very natural progression, as much about, you know, I was curious as, as anything else and uh, pioneered hedging, as many people did throughout the industry at Rainier Bank, uh, learning from one of the best in the industry, Dave Griffith. Who uh, was over David at, uh, Griffith, yeah. And that was the futures and options yes. and contracts and hedging strategy designs because the Fed had de-administered interest rates and we had to figure out how to protect uh, the, our positions because... Fannie and Freddie were no longer writing, if you remember, nine and 12-month contracts for half a point up front at uh, a fixed interest yes. rate. I remember Gary Lang coming in and saying, here we go, we're set for the year. I just bought a you know, a standby commitment with Fannie. They lock in the rate, and we just deliver into it. So when that went away, we all had a new industry to, to adjust to. Um, and then the second era for me, was again, an evolution from secondary, was into structured finance, which I know we're going to talk a little bit about today. Uh, but, you know, uh, Fannie and Freddie's charter were pretty restricted back then, uh, mainly from jumbo loans, and they really weren't a very good bid for uh, ARM products. So private label conduits were the new thing, starting with residential funding corporation. Uh, I went from Seattle mm-hmm. down to uh, L.A. Uh, to work as VP of the West Coast Distribution Group for City May. And then from oh, there, uh, went, uh, yeah, right. went to East to uh, Chicago and was the National Distribution Manager and VP at Sears Mortgage Securities Corp., part of the uh, Dean Witter Group that the Sears Group had, had built up. And we did 250 to $500 million a month in structured finance deals uh, in those, those days where we would, you know, hit the target dollar amount, lift the hedge, and sell the bond were some of the most delightful, fun days in my career. And then from there, I went to uh, Bear Stearns, actually back home to New York City, uh, worked for Bear and their conduit uh, for a period of time. Uh, so structured finance was really with those three organizations. And then my third era was back to Seattle. And, David, I hope you'll get a kick out of this. You know, I left there. I go back to Seattle. When I had uh, taken the job with City, they had bought my house under a corporate reload. And I was so excited. I bought the house <laughs> for 75000 and sold it through City for 98000 When I went back to Seattle, my, that same house was on the market for six hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> that, that's how much yeah, life it changed. That, in, yes, in, yeah, that's that was it. when I, I have many I aspects. Yes. But yeah, I called it Microsoft Kingdom from that point forward, and that that kind of price inflation was even before Amazon. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, but Amazon has one in ten desks in downtown Seattle right now. So this was long before. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. So the third era consulting really drove me into technology. Um, I don't know if you remember Bruce Watterson at Prime Financial. Um, I was working yeah, with him doing decisions sure do. on securities. And uh, we thought FoxPro was the coolest thing back then, you know, the first Microsoft sort of data management <laughs> product. We were so cool. But we were doing a lot of work for the uh, investment banks as they were bundling securities. And then I left Prime, and that's when I founded Elliott Bay Associates. And uh, with Ellie, uh, mm-hmm. Elliott Bay, I found myself at places like Interlink. Uh, remember, good old Interlink over there in Kirkland, uh, building oh, yeah. secondary. Founded that in my garage. I could, yes, right. I started that sure. in my garage. Yes, right. a long, long time ago. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
right. I know, I know. Um, yeah, that's crazy. And then I think, you know, something that you can relate to, uh, Gary Timmerman was an old colleague of mine at Sears Mortgage Securities on the savings bank side. Gary built and managed probably three, four, five different uh, warehouse lending desks uh, yes. through his career. Yep. He's now at UBS. And he would send me and, and a couple of folks to go analyze mortgage companies all over the country in the early to mid-90s. So by the time that era was finished, I'd seen every possible mortgage lending business model you could imagine, you know, good, bad, and ugly. And maybe on another show, you and I will we'll talk about some of the real doozies yeah. that were out there. Yeah. And, uh, be kind of fun. <laughs> For all the old um, geezers, we could do a, you know, down to history oh blade. Yeah, no. Yeah, the ones that did not survive the implodometer, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, for, fourth era for me was technology, and I hope you don't mind the storytelling around my resume, but I, I, I really want to just sort of talk it through from the standpoint of what the industry was doing, and I happened to be there, right? Uh, well, so, it, so it's relevant really because of what some it's, – it's relevant to some things that I think that are coming up in future broadcasts with you, but it's also relevant to some things that are, are really happening today. So history is repeating itself. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So fourth era was technology. Um, and frankly, I, I found myself drawn to it because, you know, when you're in secondary, even in structured finance, which is which is a little different than just hedging a, a mortgage pipeline every day, you're still going in every day to fight the mortgage beast, right? Market is up, yep, it's down, yep. and it's there the next morning, and it's the same old kind of stress, right? So I said, I, you know, if I go to technology, I can actually build something and uh, and actually step back and look at it and say, wow, look, it works. Uh, for me, the game changer <laughs> industry, the game changer started, at least as far as I could tell in my in my experience, at uh, Keystroke.com, which was founded by Joe Hausauer, who sadly has since passed away, but in Seattle. And so I'm back in Seattle, and uh, he asked me to be EVP of Keystroke, which originated and processed the very first online mortgage loan. This was in 1998. Wow. And uh, they hard to sold believe that was the first online mortgage back at that point. Yeah. That doesn't seem uh, that long ago. That, uh, they sold that country, uh, country company to uh, good old Washington Mutual. And I moved on to bring online lending to uh, Boeing Employees Credit Union. Uh, when they built, uh, for those of you who have uh, any credit union background, uh, they built a very large mortgage queue, so-called Prime Alliance, uh, using uh, uh, Exma's uh, platform, actually. Yes. It was the very first online connection to Senlar, the servicing platform. Uh, so, uh, again, I was, I was just very, very fortunate to be uh, in, in, in new places uh, very uh, in numerous times during my, during my career, and then a lot of time, about two to three work, years of work with Calix Software, helping them build some mortgage banking uh, screens in their 6.0 series of points, and then helping them to envision and I think ultimately build a, uh, a true uh, web-based mortgage banking product uh, called PASS, which they now have in the marketplace, but had to wait uh, to build because of the, the crisis. You know, um, And I don't know where you were during the crisis, David, but I know I was you know, spending a lot of time yelling and throwing things at my uh, TV while I was watching CNBC every day, <laughs> right? You know, but I found Hopefully it wasn't one of the times I was on CNBC. <laughs> Oh, yes. That was a good one, though. That was a good one. Uh, but I, I found yeah, myself yeah, drawn to the credit union stage then. I went, I went to work for a corporate credit union uh, called Members United, did a, did a lot of uh, consulting for them. Um, and one of the things we did, real quick story, uh, is uh, credit union product, uh, even through the crisis, mortgage products, had very good performance, re, you know, performance and repayment. So they, do. Uh, they asked help them negotiate with Fannie and Freddie to get lower guarantor fees because the idea was, and it, at the time, believe it or not, it was a new idea, right, to compensate on guarantor fee based on quality, not quantity. It literally was a foreign concept. And, uh, Isn't last, that amazing? Yeah, because of everything that we've been through. But so the, the, the quick story is that we're sitting in, in the uh, meeting with Freddie, uh, and uh, there's quite a few people there. I mean, definitely decision makers, and they were we were so close to winning the argument that credit unions deserve X basis points on their guarantor fee. When someone noticed that the Freddie Mac stock had dropped to four dollars a share from seventy five dollars, so it was one of wow. those days. Do you remember where you were when? Right? Oh yeah, yes. Uh, so since then, I've really stayed in the in the tech space, and, and as you said, and I hope to to be invited back so I can talk about something uh, 
let's face it, we, we need to build uh, business processes and we need to build technology that solve for some fundamental problems that have emerged. And they've emerged for a lot of reasons, none of which we need to hash over. But bottom line is bondholders need visibility into underlying, um, you know, underlying collateral, underlying mortgages to restore their trust. And, and that's, been, that's been my mantra for years. And, uh, and yes. so I'm current project uh, takes me to today is uh, working sort of below the radar with a couple of my clients, uh, Loan Scorecard and Andrew Davidson and company. And like I said, I hope we can talk some more about that project uh, as it as it develops. Yeah, but online for me, you know, do you remember that movie Airplane where Barbara Billingsley is in the <laughs> in the yes. uh, plane and she says to the guy that she speaks jive, you know, and then she proceeds to speak yep. jive to these guys. Well, I feel a little bit like Barbara Billingsby. I feel like I talk three languages. I speak mortgage, I speak technology, and I speak RMBS. So I can you know, help people talk to each other because there's a knowledge gap among very, very, very smart people, but very siloed professionals. Yes, there there's a lot of work yep. to do yet. So, so I'm still like you, David. I'm still getting up, still enjoying this business, as they say, after all these years. Yeah, I, I love that. And uh, I'm having a dinner this week with Jack Guttentag, who's in his 90s, and he is still advising uh, and working in this industry. And Jack is uh, just professor, the mortgage professor. I get to have dinner with he and his wife this Wednesday in Philadelphia area, so I'm looking forward to that. Joe, I'm going to toss you to the mic. Let's get into some of the meat of one of the things, go. So, Joe, I'll let toss it to you. Well, I've I've looked ahead and seen some of the notes of what um, Eileen's going to talk about. One of the things that strikes me is uh, for our listeners and myself uh, uh, to to give me a real good definition of what is uh, um, you know structured finance versus a residential mortgage-backed security. Sure, sure. Well, at the, at the bottom, at the basis of it, structured finance is is really the the capital markets solution for intermediating capital, uh, and by that I mean once upon a time, uh, which, and I think David and I are going to talk about this in a little bit, once upon a time portfolio lending was the sole source of mortgage uh, dollars, cash, right? Uh, but eventually, especially because of the baby boomer era and the, uh, and the movement out west of uh, a lot of the boomers, uh, the amount of people needing mortgages uh, exceeded the capital available among banks. And so uh, the concept of structured finance really starts with Fannie and Freddie. I mean, technically, uh, or, or absolutely, Fannie and Freddie are, uh, those two agencies practice structured finance every day. Um, so they intermediate capital outside of banking to provide you know, capital to, to mortgage demand. Um, what we'll also talk about, which I guess we'd call sort of RB, RMBS2, where the agencies are sort of RMBS1.0, RMBS 2.0 is, is the discovery of a re-engineering of cash flows between mortgage cash flows and the kind of cash flows that various investors along the curve, as they say, would be interested in. So structured finance uh, not only brought in capital from non-bank entities to mortgage demand, but it also brought in new kinds of investors who really were used to buying maybe shorter maturity assets uh, able to buy mortgage bonds because of the way in which the mortgage bond cash flows could be re-engineered to their, uh, their risk-reward demands, if you will. Um, as far as RMBS is concerned, it's just residential mortgage-backed securities, and I think you're going to hear that term a lot as the industry um, you know, resets itself. Uh, residential mortgage-backed securities are just bundles of mortgages uh, in, a, in a single pool, and uh, as, as folks probably know, uh, you can buy uh, both privately sold pools of residential mortgage-backed securities. Um, those are deals that the industry doesn't know much about because they're not registered, uh, or, and that's the other type of an RMBS, a publicly registered uh, RMBS, uh, public, publicly registered with the SEC. Um, everyone knows about those. You can, you can go to the SEC sites or you can go to a site, uh, the Edgar gov site that basically has all the information about these bonds, and you can see uh, the performance of those bonds. So as an investor, as a seller, as an owner of those securities, you can monitor their performance and therefore monitor their uh, their value. 
Um, and they both of those types of uh, securities, both the privately sold and the publicly registered, consist of, of mortgages with a range of risk characteristics, all the, all the risk characteristics that everybody here knows about at the loan level, of course, you know, the interest rate, like we talked about, the, the FICO score, LTV, geography, term, many other factors, uh, and, uh, and trade uh, to uh, interested purchasers based on a price relative to the kind of risk you want to take in those characteristics, uh, whether it's FICO score, interest rate, or geographic distribution. Hi, Eileen. This is Alice. Glad to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about the ABS conference and uh, get the audience up to speed on what's going on at the conference and, um, you know, for those who may not be aware? Yeah, sure. I'd be delighted to. And, David, as you and I were, were discussing earlier, it's interesting that uh, that there's there's a uh, unmet demand here for, for knowledge about ABS West. Uh, I think it speaks to the silos that I was talking about earlier that I do hope yeah. uh, that, that I and David and others and my clients and, and everyone who's working so hard at this reform era really works hard at, you know, the, the alliance, if you will, between these industries and break down these silos. Uh, but ABS West is a conference. It's one of two. Uh, there's an ABS West, and guess what? Yes, there's an ABS East. Uh, there's one every, uh, you know, there's one on the East Coast uh, once a year, and there's one on the West Coast once a year. ABS West generally has uh, higher attendance. I think it has to do with the time of year, as in last month, and, uh, you know, East Coast weather being what it was. Uh, maybe, David, that's why. It was 6,500 attendees, you know. Uh, but Alice, the... Uh, 65, the that's what I was going to ask you. What was the... That, that was unusually yeah. high attendance, correct? Yeah, 6,500. In fact, I talked to a fellow who uh, had been number 5,900. He registered and said, yeah, I noticed I was about 5,900. He said, I was shocked to know I was already, you know, there were already that many people coming. Um, I'd like to think it was a subject matter and the motivation, but uh, the Irish cynic in me, Alice, tells me maybe it had a little to do with the weather, but uh, but maybe not that much. Because it was a fantastic <laughs> And I had been at ABS East as well. Um, asset-backed securitization, uh, that particular conference series is co-sponsored by the Structured Finance Industry Group, SSIG, and by the Information Management Network, IMN. And I, I urge everybody to take a peek at those uh, websites. It's ssindustry.org. Uh, or you can just go to absvegas.com and, and see the actual conference and its its agenda, and then Information Management Network, great you know pub, uh, publication for the structured finance industry, imn.org. Um, the the conference is about asset backed securitization. So what was interesting is, uh, was that it covered not just mortgages residential and commercial, but other types of structured finance deals because you can intermediate capital for just about any kind of receivable, credit cards, autos. One of the very exciting emerging, uh, actually two very exciting emerging sectors and growing sectors, uh, peer-to-peer lending, uh, solar, transportation, um, and a few others, but uh, asset-backed being, you know, of any type of collateral uh, Clearly, I was there, and quite a few people within the RMBS 3.0 work group were there focused specifically on uh, on residential mortgages. And in that regard, Alice, the big focus, and I, I would urge everybody to, to take a look at this, big focus was on AB2. AB2. AB. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, asset back to uh, AB2 was is a regulation that uh, emerged from the Dodd Frank uh, regulation, picked up by the SEC. The SEC is a regulator, of course, of of any structured finance deal, any bond, uh, any any publicly registered security or bond. You know, we, we know the types, right? There's corporate, municipal, um, uh, mortgage, and uh, asset backed bonds. Treasuries, of course, being our bellwethers. Um, AB2 is a regulation that for mortgage lenders and for bond issuers who are issuing bonds backed by mortgages requires, it, it, it's heading in the right direction for the kind of 
granularity, real-time transparency, um, data necessary to satisfy and re-establish re some level of trust among the buyers of those bonds. Um, and, you know, Alex, you were talking earlier about, you know, the, regula the regulators. This happens to be the SEC uh, as opposed to, say, the CFPB. All of, all of this stemming from Dodd-Frank. Um, AB2, the SEC is doing its best to figure out, after talking with bond investors and the industry, what, what data do bond holders really want to own? along with cash flows that they own when they buy the bond. Well, they found 270 fields of mortgage-level data that must be reported by November of 2016 to bondholders about the underlying mortgage collateral. Uh, so I don't want to – I don't want to – I would suggest, David, we talk about AB2 maybe as an entirely separate uh, yeah. show because I don't want to focus just on that. Uh, because as, you know, SFIG, as they're called, Structured Finance Industry Group, and the RMBS 3.0 Group are doing a lot more than managing uh, the change necessary to comply uh, with AB2. Uh, bottom line, Alice, it's, they're trying to create standardization within the RMBS market. Because when you think about it, when you think about it, Fannie and Freddie issue bonds, right? So so they're sort of RMBS 2.0. Because it's just the two of them, they are completely standardized, right? They're almost, uh, you know, Fannie Mae is a singular approach to taking mortgages, originating them, processing, funding, closing them, and selling them to the agency. That's one singular process. Well, the RMBS marketplace has numerous investment banks, bondholders, etc., all of whom want to resurrect the RMBS market to where it was when, you know, I was at places like City Mae way back in the day, and when David and I yeah, were right. selling yeah. loans to places like RFC, uh, but boy, how do you get all those really smart people to agree on a standardized process when they're competing against each other, right? So standardization, yeah. uh, providing transparency, providing a sustainable, scalable, fluid RMBS market post-crisis, uh, those are really the objectives uh, that the SFIG group has set for itself and the RMBS 3.0 work group has set for itself, and the ABS East and West conferences are the places where give the industry updates on how they've been doing between conferences because these RMBS 3.0 folks get together in work streams and they're working together all the time. There's about 50 organizations represented, um, and then they report half wow. you know, every you know half year. Uh, so so there's there's a lot going on at these conferences. And uh, and there's a lot of really good work. These people are really dedicated to, you know, really bringing the RMBS market not only back to where it was, but to, to really bring it to the era in which it's, it's currently functioning, which is a very highly technological, highly data-driven uh, industry. Looking at the time we have left, I really wanted to zero in on this. A lot of people, this is a great foundation to get, in where they're at, and, I, and, I, and we have to go through the various industry eras at another time. But I really want to go into what a lot of people are wanting to know on this. And again, it's good to know about these agencies or these two, this conferences, the, the participants on it, the effort that's going on and into bringing back RMS. So let's go right now to where you think the what the future holds. Let's, I mean. Uh, it, is it going to come back? Do you really feel that we're, you know, give us your perspective on two years, five years, and ten years. Where do you, where do you sure. really see this coming back? Are we going to see the standardization come about? Are we going to really see uh, the innovative products come back? And then uh, are we stuck with Fannie and Freddie and what, what they have to offer for the rest of our lives? Sure. Well, you know, right now we're in what I like to call the mea culpa era. We're still asking the right questions. We're still realizing where things weren't thought through as well as they might have been and nothing personal, right, but right. Uh, a lot of these people are busy suing each other as they're trying to rebuild the industry. So, uh, <laughs> I think, you know, it's I find that hilarious. How, do you, how yeah. do you get groups to get together when, hey, let's have a meeting and talk about the future. By the way, uh, we can't talk about this because we're still in suit with each other. It's just as dysfunctional as anything you've ever seen. Sorry about that. I just... Yeah, no, 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 you're, but you're right. It's, and, and, and I sat down with a fellow, and we were talking about how 
uh, if he's in a work group and he gets a note from his attorney that, oh, by the way, the other party, I won't name the company name or the industry name, uh, they're going to sue you for $250 billion, but don't worry, we're going to negotiate it down. Well, oh, good. <laughs> I'm feeling much better now. <laughs> but uh, it's just, and all these lawsuits, they had to happen. You can't be on the board. And I can use, you know, I can use, um, uh, S and P because it's so public. You can't be yeah. on the board of S and P and not think about who who you should sue in light of the fact that you were sued, right? You got to do that. So um, yeah. we're in the mea culpa era. We're trying to figure out uh, what to do and how to work with each other uh, while our attorneys uh, negotiate in the other room. Um, we have to break these silos down. So, so in two years, I think yes, I think uh, securitization is back. I think one of the things that might slow it down a bit are are two brilliant. Um, uh, securities designs that were created for Fannie and Freddie. For Fran, for Fannie, if you if you study the Connecticut Avenue securities, David, this is another show. Trust me. Connecticut uh, Avenue. Okay. Yes, C A S Connecticut Avenue Securities, and you study Freddie's stackers, structured agency credit risks. Those are credit strips that were sold out of Fannie's and Freddie's uh, portfolio. So picture it like a balloon. Like to the extent that Fannie and Freddie ever buy more than they should that, uh, on, along the risk curve, they can right. they, these two these two innovations in securitization can be used to like release the pressure on the balloon as it gets too big. Right? They can sell out strips of credit risk. Right. So that's going to make Fannie and Freddie more sustainable, but it's still it's still uh, vulnerable to political pressure, which I think is appropriate to allow the marketplace to still have some role in what happens in housing. So um, I think RMBS is on its way. I think standardization, uh, and like I said, it's almost like singularity. How do you find a very singular slash standardized way for the RMBS market to operate like Fannie and Freddie operate. So it's clean from the time the loan officer takes an application until the time the, the bond is sitting in one of our 401k accounts, right? Uh, so efficiency, yep. um, understanding how to work with the regulators and to educate the regulators about what is and is not feasible in terms of regulation. AB2 is going to be a great example. Um, then I think, uh, uh, you know, in two years, I think we'll see the flow. You know, in 2014, we saw eight billion dollars which is nothing it's a drop in the bucket yeah eight billion dollars in real flow in 2014 um but i think uh the the word is that yeah we're going to see action especially in about two years out because the the front end of the industry our our mortgage lending industry will have settled into most of the dodd frank and cfpb regs and uh, we'll weed out what we need to weed out in the industry, and then the bonds will just look better, or the mortgages will just look better and be a better buy for investors. Um, I think uh, in five years, uh, <laughs> I better be out of here in five years, David. <laughs> you know, just five years is a, is a good horizon. Well, yeah, slippery that. slope. Hard to, it, it's like yeah, one person. It's like a cult. Easy to get into, hard to get out. It's like one person yeah. referred to our but industry. The, the peer-to-peer uh, securitization groups really opened my eyes when I was at ABS East and West okay. uh, to the fact that the millennials are going to rule. They're going to rule. They're going to have the disruptive innovation. They're going to have the right technology. They're going to have the right mindset about uh, debt and investing in the same way that you know our parents had that after the Great Depression. I think they have the same attitude about it after the Great Recession. Uh, and I'm, I'm. That's the one thing I am very excited to stick around for. To so just see how these kids come along and, and do it, and then, you know, in ten years, uh, I think I'll have 29 years to go on my mortgage at that point. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's about as far out as, as, as far as we go at that point. Yeah. Well, it's it's really valuable that you bring us this historical perspective, and and quite frankly, I find very encouraging that you're seeing the attendance, and if people start stop suing each other or get past to each other. They're not going to stop. They're going to get past it. We start seeing some collaboration. Who knows what we could see coming back. You know, so you actually, one last question. In fact, someone just texted me with this question. Ask Eileen um, if she sees Fannie and Freddie around in five years, regardless of the political pressure. Is there going to be just a lot of talk and not anything done with Fannie and Freddie? 
Oh, I think there's always things being done with Fannie and Freddie, and trust me, folks, I am not uh, enough of an insider to give you an expert answer to that question. I do feel a little closer to some of that dialogue than I might have been a year or two ago. Uh, I, I think if you look at what, uh, uh, what FHFA is required to do, uh, it is required to propose some kind of a some kind of a I, I want to yes. use the word sense is dangerous, but some kind of a uh, change, shall we say, significant change. But they're not required. Right. They're not required to do anything specific for five years. So within the next five years, uh, I think Fannie and Freddie will continue. I think the, the uh, Connecticut Avenue. The cast and the stackers are really helping them to sustain themselves. You can't ignore the fact they're very profitable. Um, I think they'll be, in, in, in some form, they'll continue to be who they are. What I would personally like to see, because I do like to think about uh, the, the, the market being able to, to participate more and we can get off uh, you know, the Fannie Freddie um, uh, meal ticket, if you will, uh, I'd love to see them shrink the footprint uh, in, insofar as maybe loan amounts, you know, bring the bring the jumbo loan amounts lower, uh, like they were back in the day, you know, and that's yeah. that's that's what stimulated the private RMBS market to begin with. I think also the right. uh, there is on a way far reach, uh, there is discussion about whether Fannie and Freddie should exist just for first time home buyers. I think that's a radical concept, um, but it all depends. One that's out on there. Yeah, I think, and then I think it all depends on the extent to which the private market can instill confidence, reinstill confidence among those who would buy mortgage bonds that are not explicitly guaranteed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. I think that's a good two years out before we know we've achieved that goal. Lots of information. We could go on and on and on. Valuable information. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us uh, and join us, um, listeners, and Alice and Joe, and specifically our special guest, Eileen O'Grady. Eileen, thank you so much. We definitely want to have more conversation on this, but can't wait for you to be able to release the announcement about what you this highly secretive, can't wait to hear about thing that you're working on. So it's very exciting. Appreciate Thanks, you being David. here with It'll us. Be Folks, the next couple of months. It'll be look forward to it. Thank you again so much. Again, special thank you goes out to Alice and Joe. Thank you so much, Joe and Alice, for being here with us, especially on this holiday, banking holiday, and all that you bring to the broadcast. And listeners, we just thank you so much for tuning in. Be back next week. Got some things. I'm reading a book on recruiting. I uh, can't wait to tell you about it. I'll get into it a little bit. We're going to have some special guests on that coming up here in the new future. Be, be sure to email me or message me through LinkedIn on topics that you want us to cover on the broadcast. Good to be with you. Have a great week, everybody, and talk to you next Monday. Have a great one, everyone. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening.